You know, it is wonderful to know as you're reading the Word of God, as you're studying the Word of God, that you come across golden nuggets. Maybe you've never thought of those things before, and yet it, it begins to sort of jump out at you and start ministering to you. Well, that's what happened with this message today. And uh, a couple of scriptures that we're going to be reading from, we're going to be reading from St. Luke chapter 22, verse 61. And then we're going to be reading from Mark 11 and 11. And those two verses, you, you, you read them and say, how can you get a message from those two verses? But let's, let's, let's take a few minutes today, if you will, and hear what thus saith the Lord. I'm going to read Mark 11 and 11 first. Would you, would you read it with me? Mark 11 and 11. And Jesus went into Jerusalem, into the temple. So when he had looked around at all things, as the hour was already late, he went out to Bethany with the twelve. Father, add your blessings to the reading of your word. Speak it to our hearts as well as it being spoken to our ears. In Christ's name, we pray. The triumphant entry was, is well known by most Bible scholars or study students. Uh, but here's something that follows that that I had never, ever noticed. If you read uh, Matthew and Luke, it doesn't mention what St. Mark mentions in, in verse 11 of chapter 11. Uh, you'll notice that I have here Roman numeral number one, a look of concern. Read it with me. In Matthew and Luke, Jesus cleanses the temple immediately after entering Jerusalem. However, in Mark, he simply goes to the temple to look around. So I've always thought that Jesus rode into Jerusalem. He goes to the, to the temple, and most of us knowing of the occasion when he uh, ran out the money changers and, and turned over the tables and, and chairs that they were sitting in. And, and uh, I said, wow, that, and that's a great story. But something happened before he did that. He comes into Jerusalem, he goes into the temple, and the Bible says, 11th verse, that he looked around at all things, and then he left. He went to Bethany, which is about maybe two miles, a little bit less from Jerusalem. So the disciples and Jesus walked about two miles from there. Then he comes back the next day and does what? We've always heard about him cleansing the temple. So Jesus had his eyes on their worship. He just goes into the church and he doesn't say anything. He doesn't do anything. He simply looks around and the scripture says at all things. You'll notice he saw commercialism. What did he see? He saw the money changers. He saw exploitation. He saw corruption. He saw injustice. He saw pride. He saw hypocrisy. He saw haughtiness. 
And I, I'm amazed at this, this sentence. And he saw that religious ceremonies were being carried on without any meaning whatsoever. Wow. So Jesus keeps his eyes or has his eyes on our worship. Now, if he came in this morning and he's here, his spirit is here, he sees, he knows what's going on. What does he see here today at Bethel or the next church or the next church? What does he see all over Durham in our worship? Jesus Christ is concerned about our worship. And these people, of course, were worshiping in vain. The Bible says in Matthew chapter 15, verse 9, and I'm reading from the Living Translation, the Living Bible, their worship is worthless. I hope the Lord doesn't look at our worship this morning and just shake his head and says, your worship is worthless. If we like what Carol said, if we're noticing people's attire, flipping their hair, what they're wearing, what they're not, not wearing, what, what's going on in the church, this person, that person. If we're thinking about what we did yesterday, we've got to do today or this week. How does the Lord look at our worship? And just like Antoinette said, giving is a part of worship. How does the Lord look at our giving? How does the Lord look at our singing? It's important that we worship God, not necessarily the style of the songs, not necessarily how many songs we sing, not necessarily how loud or not loud it is. You get older, you can't stand loud. Just my, that's just me getting old. And there's a lot of young people here. God looks at all of us. He looks at all of us as we are worshiping him. Now, something that's very important. He saw all this, all the money changers. He saw all the, the fallacy. The, he saw the hypocrisy. He saw all the pride. And yet, he did nothing. He could have then taken a whip as he did and run them all out of the church. I wonder if God, Really, really, let us know how well he's pleased or not pleased with our worship this morning. If he ran out those of us who are not worshiping in spirit and in truth, and I, I just think that's John chapter 4. You remember that, that verse? It's a great verse. Jesus told the woman at the well, those that there come a time when they'll worship me in what? Spirit. Are we worshiping in the spirit? Are we worshiping in truth? God wants our worship to be uh, unto him, and it wants us to be holy. And I think sometimes we need to rid ourselves of pride, maybe injustice, maybe hypocrisy. We're trying to be something that we're not. But notice the next line. He did not at once correct them. You see, God is slow to anger and waits patiently before he rebukes and chastens. How many of you are glad today that God's patient? I'm glad he's patient with me. There's been times that I'll just tell you, I'm glad he didn't judge me or 
or, or, you know, that he was patient with me. The Bible says in Psalms 17 and 8, the Amplify, he says, keep, no, I'm sorry, Psalms 86 and 15, uh, the New King James, but you, O Lord, are a God full of compassion and gracious and long-suffering and abundant in mercy and truth. That word long-suffering, that means patient. God's patient with us. God cares for us. God wants us to do what is right, but if we, if we don't, we disobey him, his spirit nudges us and convicts us. So God looks at our worship. He's concerned about our worship. Worship is important. I mean, from the very first to the very last, worship is important, but not just at church. Worship is important at home. It's important when you're driving down the highway. It's important when you stop and take time just to say, hey, God, I want to thank you. It's important when you bow your head and say the grace around the dinner or lunch table. It's important when you stop and give God praise for the day and before you lay down and before you lay your head on your your pillow that you worship God. God is concerned about our worship. You don't have to answer this, but I want to ask you, if you had to give an account about your worship, do you think God would be satisfied and pleased? I hope so. I hope so. God looked at the worship of those Pharisees and Sadducees and those people that were selling the, uh, the animals and sacrificing and all religiosity that went on. And God knows when it's just religious and not bona fide and real. He knows that. But all over this city today, all over this America today, all over the world, people are worshiping God by the millions. But is God pleased with the worship of the people unto him? I worship you, almighty God. There is none like you. God wants us to worship Now, let me read Luke chapter 22 and verse 61. And the Lord turned and looked at Peter, looked at Peter. Here he was looking at the people in the temple. Here he was looking at the people that were supposedly worshiping him, but were not. It was all selfish. It was all ungodly gain. But here... Luke tells us that, and the Lord turned and looked at Peter. One translation says, he looked straight at Peter. Then Peter remembered the word of the Lord, how he said to him, before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. A look of compassion. Notice the outline. This was a look not of wrath. It was a look not of resentment. Peter, you told me you were going to be with me. You told me you were going to be faithful. Here Jesus is being persecuted. Here Jesus is being whipped. Here Jesus is having a 
crown of thorns laid on his head. And all of these things, a robe taken off, another robe put on, and disrespect and dishonor in Jesus Christ. All of these things were happening, beating him. All of these things were happening. All of these things were happening. And these, they were pushing him. They were pulling his beard. They were spitting in his face. And then the Bible says, and then he turned and looked at Peter. He had time to turn. He took time to turn. He knew where Peter was. He knew what Peter had just said. He had just three times denied him, even cursed and denied him. Jesus took time to turn and look. You probably had a mother or father when you were growing up and all they had to do was look at you. You knew that look. My wife was telling me her mother, her mother would look at her and she knew exactly what she was saying. She knew exactly what she needed to do and that was to straighten up. My mom could look at me and I knew I better stop doing what I was doing. Well, Jesus looked at Peter and Peter Remembered. Someone said it was the cock crowing three times. That's true. And Jesus had told him it was going to happen. I think it was not only the cock crowing three times, I think it was that look. Those eyes that looked into the eyes of Peter and all that was happening, all that was happening that day. The look was a means of convincing, convicting, humbling him, and bringing him to repentance. The voice of the cock was added, the, to the voice of the cock was added the look of Christ. So that look brought conviction. You ever felt like the Lord was looking at you? <laughs> you look around, is somebody looking at me? You know you're doing something you shouldn't do. And all of a sudden you realize God has his eyes on you. He's looking at you. God sees us today. But he not only sees us physically, he sees us way down deep in our heart. What does he see? Let me take a minute. Think about it. Think about your own condition with God. Think about your own relationship with God. What does God see in you? Oh, be careful, little hands, what you do. Oh, be careful, little feet, where you go. For the Father up above is looking down on us. So be careful. Be careful what you do. And it was that look immediately when Jesus looked at the apostle Peter. Peter remembered what Jesus had said. And the Bible says that Peter went out and wept bitterly and repented of what <coughs> had happened. Have you ever wept bitterly when you faced the consequences of your sin? 
I wonder how many people weep bitterly today. Do we fight off that conviction or do we say, God, I'm sorry? Oh, boy. God's looking at us today. He's eyeing us today. Peter knew, hey, just a few days ago, listen at me. Peter said, Lord, I'll never forsake you. Do all men forsake you? I won't forsake you. I'll be there when you need me. Have we ever promised God? And, and we look back after a while and we find out I failed him here. I failed him here. Boy, I blew it. Failure. Probably there's not a one of us today that has not in some way failed our father. But look at uh, number four. Failure need not be final. Amen. How many of you are glad today that God is a God of a second chance? Every one of us. I dare say there's not one of us that we know we failed and then we fall before God on our knees or in an altar in our bed or in our, our room and we cry out to God and say, God, forgive me. He's looking at you. He hears that. He understands your failings. He understands your failings. Failure should be our teacher, not our undertaker. Failure is delay, not necessarily defeat. Failure is a temporary detour, not a deading street. You failed him? Did you fail him this week, even this week? The devil will come down on you, and he's an accusator, and he accuse you, and and God loves you. Listen to this. I, I, and studying all both of these areas of looking, I just could not help but try to put myself in Peter's place. With all that was going on, and yet here the Savior of the world, the very one I had followed for three and a half years, the one that I promised to be faithful to turned and looked me in the face. So I took. He didn't say anything to him. He didn't rebuke him and say, Peter, you know what you've just done? He didn't accuse him of anything. Just looked at him. And Peter melted down. I got a feeling Peter could not wait till he got outside somewhere in a quiet, solitary place on his knees and said, Jesus, boy, did I blow it. Did I miss it? Did I do wrong? But forgive me. And the Bible says he wept bitterly. I was raised in church all my life and much of the altar services were people weeping around the altar. You don't see it no more. We don't weep anymore for our sins. I know there's some, and thank God there are some that weep out of conviction and being convicted. But Peter wept. He wept bitterly. It was not the mere look from Christ. Listen, I love this statement. But the divine grace with it that restored the man called Peter. Somehow, between the look of Jesus into the face of Peter and the time that he went out and got on his knees and repented, somehow, in my mind, it go, 
Peter's mind went back to the first time he met Jesus Christ. Peter may have remembered John 1, 42. And this is a Philip's translation. And he brought him who? Nathaniel. Nathaniel. And he brought him to Jesus. Jesus looked intently. That's the living Bible. Jesus looked intently or steadily at him and said, You are Simon, the son of John. John is what this translation. From now on your name is Cephas. That is Peter, meaning a rock. You are this, you're going to be this. You're this, you're going to be this. That's a great... Peter saw Jesus look at him. He Listen to this. Listen to this. Jesus looked at Peter and said, You're Simon, you shall be called Cephas. Jesus looked beyond Peter's blustering ego, horrible failures, to the man he could use mightily in the kingdom of God. Peter was changed that day from an unstable, impulsive, insecure person to a man that trusted God. Oh, there were failures there were times he stumped his toe and failed, but this was a mighty man of God. He became such a man of God until that man was the one that preached on the day of Pentecost and thousands of people were saved. That look changed that man's life. He went from being weak to being strong. Now there, there's a lot of stuff between there, but Peter became a great man of God. And some of us, the devil, will say, you'll never be anything. I want you to understand. Jesus sees you for what you are and he sees you for what you can be. There's not a person under the sound of my voice that you can't be something great for the kingdom of God. I believe that. That look. Let Jesus look deep into your heart. Jesus can give you a new life and he can give you a new name. He has great plans for you. Me? I thought the preacher, I thought the religious leaders, the song leaders, I thought this. No, Jesus has great plans for you. Know how I know. Jeremiah tells me, 29 and 11, the NIV, for I know the plans I have for you. Most of us here probably could quote this verse. It's a great verse. Declares the Lord, plans to prosper you, and not to harm you. Plans to give you hope and a future. The devil works overtime trying to bring a guilt trip on God's people. And he keeps telling them that God don't love you. You've not been good enough. You failed here. You failed there. But let me tell you something. You can't do anything to make God love you anymore. And you can't do anything to make God love you any less. He loved you with a great love. There's no way I can even imagine how much he loves us. If he can change Simon to the rock, he can change you and use you mightily too. Many people look at their lives and assume that who they were or who they are is all they will ever 
be. The devil will tell you what you are is what you're always going to be. He's a liar. I want to say that strong. He's a liar. I'm not all I want to be, but I'm not all I'm going to be. And the same for you. God's going to use you. There was a man in the Bible in Judges. His name was Gideon. Gideon was a man that was afraid of the enemy, which were the Midianites. In fact, he was hiding from the soldiers and the Midianites and the enemy. He was threshing wheat and hiding. An angel of the Lord visited him and said, Oh, thou great man of valor. You talking to me? You ever do that? God speaks promises to you. God speaks a mighty word to you. God, you talking to, you talking to me? Yeah, he's talking to you. Oh, I thought, yeah, he's talking. Gideon said, I, I, can't, I can't do anything, Lord. I'm hiding now. I'm, I'm operating in fear. Wait a minute, Gideon. He said, I'm the least in my, in my tribe. My tribe's the least. I'm the least. Wait a minute, Gideon. Most of us know the story. How he became a great warrior, defeated the Midianites, became a judge of Israel. You see, you may be like Gideon. You may be secluded off somewhere, hiding. God sees you. God sees you when no one else sees you. But not only does God see you, sees you, God loves you. God cares. There is no one that cares for you like Jesus Christ. Mama, dad, companion, parents, children. You see, God Almighty sees you. But he not only sees you, he loves you. And Jesus knows what you can be and what you're going to be. I, I, I've been feeling that for three, I mean four weeks. As I would come to this pulpit, God keeps speaking and impressing upon my heart that there are people that are going to be great ministries, ministers before the Lord. I'm not talking necessarily about a pulpit ministry, and that might be. God's got something big for you. It's not just words. That's God's word. Over and over and over again. People that felt like they couldn't do anything. I'm too young. I can't do anything. I'm too young. You're not too young. I'm too old. You're not too old. I don't have the means. God has the means. Moses, what do you have in your hand? A stick. God can use a stick. God's going to use you. God's going to touch your life and you're going to stand up straight. It's time for the church to stand up straight. Saw this advertisement. This young man sitting in his house. Doorbell rings and his mama comes to the door. She walks in. You're sitting up straight. Yeah. He's got a little thing on the back of his neck. Down on his back. He said, Mom, I got this thing that keeps me up straight. 
But every time I slump over, I had to stand back. It, it just, I just, I'm up straight. God's that little, got that little thing to keep you straight. He'll keep your shoulders back. He'll have faith in your heart and bonus. He'll give you bonus where you didn't have bonus. God wants to give you that. Jesus Christ saw them in the, in the temple worshiping, but they were not worshiping as they should. Jesus sees us today. And even though we may have denied him, Jesus sees us as he saw Peter. A, a look of compassion, a look of concern, a look of, of forgiveness. Can you accept that today? Can you accept the fact, though I failed, Lord, I said some things I should have never said. I've done some things that I never should have done. I disobeyed you. God says, okay, just lay that on the altar. Just repent of it. I forgive you. Isn't that wonderful words? Wonderful words. Sing it with me. I love, worship you, almighty God. There is none like you. Sing it. I worship you, O Prince of Peace. That is what I want to do 